Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, I am so glad to be here with you this morning. It's so good to see all of you on this beautiful day. Um, as Pastor Nikki said, it is the day that the Lord has made, so regardless of the weather, we're going to call it a beautiful day today. Well, we are four weeks into our prayer series. I can't believe it. I can't believe we're four weeks into the new year. I say it at the end of every January. It's just true. But as we have been in this, um, in this series on prayer over these last few weeks, I just want to take the opportunity today to, uh, to kind of check in and see how we're doing with all of that, with all that we've been learning about prayer. And I want to take... Um, I want to take the opportunity to talk about a practice of prayer that I hope will bring a sense of relief to you, maybe some margin if you are feeling overwhelmed or if you uh, are, are maybe just unsure about how to step into prayer, if it feels like the magnitude of prayer or the depth of prayer that we have been talking about is out of reach for you. I wonder if you ever feel like that. You hear about these spiritual disciplines and practices that we talk about and think, that's like I have a real life. How is that going to, how do I do that? Does it ever feel like it's out of reach for you? I feel like that sometimes when we talk about uh, prayer or other spiritual disciplines uh, and just the volume of possibilities within all of that. Can, uh, can leave us feeling defeated before we even start sometimes. And then we hear stories about uh, people that we might think of as spiritual giants, right, and, um, and, and their practices. There's a story about Martin Luther. You may know Martin Luther. He kind of kicked off the Reformation. He was once asked, this story goes, he was asked about his plans for the following day. And he's, I don't know if like everybody in the 16th century spoke in this grandiose way, but he is quoted as having said for the next day, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And I hear that and I think, yeah, Luther, way to go. Great priorities. And on the other hand, I think, because it doesn't take much of a comparison between Luther's first three hours, purported first three hours, and the first three hours of my day to show that our lives look different. Can I just confess to you right now that I don't, I don't spend the first three hours of every day in prayer, at least not in the way that we might imagine that Luther meant. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we, uh, we want to practice those disciplines that will allow us to be shaped by God, right? We want to be formed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And we know that things like prayer and other disciplines are the way that we can do that. We want to experience the depth of prayer. And also, we have jobs and school and families, and friends, and homes, and things to take care of. How can we be shaped by prayer in the midst of our everyday lives? That's what I want to talk about today. 
One way that we can think about this is by considering what we could call the prayer of the ordinary. The prayer of the ordinary. It's a practice that recognizes that our daily lives are made up of moments that can be lived expressions of prayer. The work of our hands and of our minds and the the activities and delights of play, the thoughts, the conversations we have with others, these things that permeate our days, all of these ordinary things can become acts of prayer. We've talked quite a bit here about uh, how God delights in working in and through ordinary people and ordinary things. And so it should be no surprise to us that the ordinary moments and circumstances of our lives can become moments of prayer, moments of communion with God, moments of aligning our hearts with his. In fact, it's those ordinary moments that show us that our lives are both spiritual and physical. These two realities that are woven together to create life. In both the, uh, the creation and the incarnation. It refers to, the, the, to, to Jesus becoming human. In both of these um, uh, 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 parts of life and that we see in scripture, we see that the spiritual and the material are not segregated. They are woven together into life. And they can't be separated, no matter how hard we may try. And wow, have we tried. Over the years, humans have this long-standing tendency to try to, um, to sometimes consider things like our bodies, our health, uh, physical labor, even the created world, to be purely material and therefore maybe less important than those things that we might think of as spiritual, things like knowledge of God and prayer and life after death and so on. And in some cases, that way of thinking has progressed to a belief that the spiritual life is good and the physical life is bad or at least unimportant. That belief was a really big problem in the early days of Christianity toward the end of the first century and beginning of the, of the second uh, in a heresy called Gnosticism that was um, a, a religion in the ancient world that kind of found its way into the church. And it taught that the material world, the creation, was evil and that the spiritual world, particularly spiritual knowledge, was the epitome of perfection. That was a heresy, which means it goes, it contradicts the heart of God. And we can see remnants and reminders of that even in our world today. We still sometimes tend to emphasize um, the spiritual over the things that we think of as material. But that's not the picture of humanity that we find in Scripture. What we find in scripture is that God created the heavens and the earth, and he saw all that he had made, and it was very good. That's on the very first page of the Bible in the creation narrative. It's the foundation of all of scripture. Genesis 1 and 2, at the beginning of your Bible, uh, they tell the story of creation. And from a literary perspective, um, they are... Two chapters are two different creation 
narratives. Each chapter tells the same story, but in a different way. But the way that they've been joined together in Scripture uh, as the opening narrative of the Bible, it really gives us a very rich and full story of humanity's beginning with God. It starts in Genesis 1 with this, with this epic introduction to life. It reads as an epic. Let's uh, look at this together. You know this verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then it, uh, it goes on uh, to describe how God spoke into existence everything that exists, beginning with, let there be light. And the language of this first chapter, it's elegant and it's bold, and we see God as the creator shaping the earth as an artist and bringing all things into harmony as a conductor would, would orchestrate a symphony. It's this magnificent, sweeping view, this sweeping story of the beginning. And then at the end of chapter 1, after God has created light and land and flora and fauna and all of it, he then creates humanity. In verse 27, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God created humans, blessed them, and commissioned them. And now these words that are used here, govern and reign, um, uh, these were sometimes translated as subdue and rule over. These are not terms of conquering and control. They have been used in that way. Uh, throughout history, and that has brought some, some devastation uh, by interpreting it that way. But, but when God is commissioning humanity to govern the earth, to reign over every living thing, he's commissioning us to be caretakers, to be stewards of his creation. He has created this masterpiece, and he is entrusting us with it. How humbling Humankind at the very beginning was given this honor and this responsibility of caring for the created world, for filling the earth with good things of, of our own creation, which includes raising children, of course, but also creating art and systems and music and institutions and communities and families, all of the things that make up uh, humanity. We were commissioned to do good work, and all good work is a means of caring for the created world and carrying out God's creative initiative. So that's Genesis 1, big view. And then we move into Genesis 2, which takes us out of this sweeping view of all of creation and brings us to an intimate scene of God and humanity. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. That word formed here, that denotes uh, uh, the work of a potter shaping a vessel from clay. And so the imagery is of God shaping these, this human form 
from the earth and then breathing God's own breath into that form. And the man became a living being. Our very lives are the union of, uh, of God's creation and God's own breath. And only when those things joined together did we become living beings. Our lives are both physical and spiritual. And then the story continues. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. And then a little farther in, in verse 17, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Now, Pastor Kyle told us in the first week of this series that, uh, that being in the garden with God is a biblical reference to being fully with God, to being in the unfiltered presence of God. And, and that's what we see here in Genesis. We see humanity, this part of creation that was made to be like God, made in God's image, is placed in a garden, and they are fully present with God. And in that place, they're given a job, a calling, and a commission. They were to tend the garden and to watch over it. When I read that this last week, I was so excited. The meaning embedded in here is so exciting to me, and I hope it is to you too. That God said, I'm putting you in a place where you can be fully present with me, and I want you to take care of that place, to take care of the place where we can be together. Take care of this garden that we share. Tend it, nurture it, work it. The place where humans and God were together and fully present with one another was a place of ordinary life. It was a place of rest and work and love. It was a place that had to be tended with day-to-day -day care. And as the man and the woman uh, went about caring for the garden, caring for their home with the work of their hands, they were with God. They were talking with God, living and working in his presence. And by taking care of this garden, their lived reality, they were taking care of the place where they met with God. This is true in our daily lives, too. Just like the man and the woman in the garden, our our everyday lives can forge a connection between the spiritual and the physical because we were created for that kind of connection with God, for that, that in-the-garden experience. We can encounter God in everyday moments, in everyday places, because God is with us where we live and where we work and play and rest. We can seek and find God in those places because, because the gardens in which he has placed us, the life that we have been given to nurture and to steward, that's where God is. We've been called and commissioned to take care of the place where we meet God, and that's in the ordinary moments of our lives. Richard Foster wrote that the discovery of God lies in the daily and the ordinary, not in the spectacular or the heroic and that's really good news for us. Because I don't know about you, but my life is pretty much made up of the daily and the ordinary. There's not a lot in there that I could call spectacular or heroic. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that God will meet me in my ordinary life. 
God who created the heavens and the earth and all that it holds, who spoke light into being and who breathed his own breath into a form made from dust to bring humanity to life, that God also created a garden, a place of daily growth resulting from daily care. And he placed us there. You and me, and the first man and woman, and every person in between. We each have our, our gardens to tend, our daily lives, those places where we can meet God. And that brings us back to this prayer of the ordinary. Because if our lives are made up primarily of ordinary moments, then it's important for us to recognize how God meets us in those moments. By praying in the ordinary moments of our days, we will continually connect with God. Think about your relationship with somebody that you're, you're particularly close to, a friend or a spouse or a sibling. It's true that in those relationships, it's really important to set aside a time to be together. But it's also true that the way that we know people best is by living daily life with them. And the same is true of God. We pray the prayer of the ordinary by spending our ordinary moments with God. So what does that mean? What does that look like in real life? Well, it can mean thinking of God as being right beside us, present with us as any person could be, and talking to him as we would talk to any companion, because he is right there with us. So just as we might comment to a friend about the beautiful sunset, or we might comment to a friend about how cold it is this morning, all of those things, we can say those things to God. Just as we might thank someone for holding a door open for us, we can thank God throughout our day for, for the ordinary gifts and kindnesses that we receive. We can incorporate prayers of blessing in our day. I love this. As, as our kids head out for the day, uh, we can pray a blessing over them, whether out loud or silently as we wave goodbye. Pray for the cashier. We can ask God to bless the cashier at the grocery store. Even as we're making small talk, even as we're loading up our carts, our hearts can be praying that blessing. If we really, really want God to transform us through prayer in our ordinary lives, we could say a blessing over the person who cut us off in traffic. That's next level ordinary prayer. But it would transform us. <laughs> By letting our hearts uh, pray a blessing over those that we encounter in our daily lives, we'll start to see people differently. We'll start to see the belovedness of each person. We'll start to see the way that each person carries the image of God. And that awareness can start to melt away harmful postures of our heart, like bitterness or anger or cynicism. These small, even silent prayers of blessing can do that. And we don't have to change anything about our schedules or our routines to incorporate that into our daily lives. The prayer of the ordinary can be especially meaningful when we are going through really difficult emotional times. So when we're anxious, we learn to see that God is at work in everything. And when we're discontent, we learn that the ordinary moments and tasks and thoughts and circumstances are meaningful in God's eyes. 
When we're lonely, we learn to recognize the presence of God with us at all times. That's the prayer of the ordinary. It means that we turn the regular moments of our day toward God. It doesn't mean that we don't feel the weight of the day. It doesn't mean that we never get frustrated. It doesn't mean that there's no stress in our lives. But what it means is that we invite God into those experiences. We recognize that God created us for daily life with him to be present with him in the places of our ordinary life. We were not created for glitz and glamour. We were created for relationship, authentic relationship, and that comes from being together in the ordinary places and the ordinary moments. You know, spiritual formation, as we've talked about, is interactive. It's the work that God does in our lives when we are facing him. How much more can we be formed into the likeness of Jesus when our whole life, our whole day, each ordinary moment is turned toward him? Last week I read, um, I read that prayer is the language of the kingdom of God. I loved that. And you know, when we're learning a language, our goals matter. If our goal is to, uh, to dabble, to be an occasional tourist, to add a skill to our resume, then we might take a class. We might learn some basic vocabulary, maybe a little bit of formal grammar. But if our goal is to take up residency, if our goal is to make that place our home, then we know that the best way to learn the language is to immerse ourselves in it to take it up in our daily lives, in each conversation and each interaction. It'll be bumpy at first, but that's the best way to learn. If we are to be daughters and sons in the kingdom of God, then let's immerse ourselves in this language of prayer by using it in our ordinary lives. Let's practice prayer so much that we're not only having direct conversation with God in prayer, but we start to think in prayer. I have uh, a friend who is from Russia and she moved to the U.S. as a young adult and I remember once uh, when she said after having been here for a number of years, she, uh, she said that her life was so fully immersed in English that she had started to dream in English, which is really significant when that's not your, your native language. I want prayer to be so constant in my life that I start to dream in prayer. Uh, one, of, one of my daughters, when she was little, um, asked me what discipleship was. She heard that word here, I think, and she asked me what discipleship was. And I don't even remember how I responded, what I said to her, but I just gave some sort of description that I thought was fitting for a, a young child. And she said, oh, so discipleship is just like regular life, but with God. Yes. Yes, it is. Regular life, but with God. That's how we live our ordinary lives, with God. Worship team, would you come on back up? Friends, let's not, let's not compartmentalize our spiritual lives and our physical lives. They are one and the same. Let's not shy away from prayer because we can't take a prayer retreat or because we can't spend the first three hours of every day in focused prayer. Talk to God throughout our days. Bless the people around you. 
Laugh with your kids and know that God is there giggling right along with you. He delights in you. He cares about you. He cares about your ordinary life. That's exactly, exactly where he wants to meet you. Let's pray.